Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Are you ready to say good morning? Good morning! Look at your neighbor and say, good morning, stay up. (laughs) Hey, listen, we're going to take part two today of David, a man after God's own heart. And today is the fall and the rise of the king. When I put that title in, if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite one out of the series is the return of the king. And... I want you to understand that God's always looking to do a greater work in individuals. And I wanted to first give a little bit of where we were last week and do it quick. But how many remember last week, the portion of scripture that we were at? We're in chapter 16, and I want to just bring out verse 6 and 7. Because this was the essence of last week. It says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I want you to understand that we're taking this series, and if I would give a series purpose statement, it would be that what can we learn from the life of David that made him a man after God's own heart? And if that be the case, we have to say, how can I become a man or a woman after God's own heart? I mean, can you think about that when God gave you a compliment and said, you know, the way you live, son, daughter... Boy, you're, just a, you're, a, you're a servant after my own heart. I, I don't know about you. We always talk about these words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. How many ever heard that before, right? But could you imagine if God said, you know what? Man, you've lived your life for the things that are heavy on my heart as well. And so we got to remember, though, as we talk about David, he wasn't perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, he's, he's talking about you. <laughs> David wasn't perfect. He made, he flopped. He made mistakes. You know, he, he really messed up along the way like all of us do. However, he always kept his account short before the Lord. He was quick to repent. And one of the things you're going to constantly hear me say is that even though he sinned, he always took responsibility and accountability uh, for his sins. And he had true repentance. And when he sinned, he was truly repentant before the Lord. Because deep in his heart, deep in his heart, he had this desire to worship God, a desire to honor God, a desire to just give God glory and praise in his life. And isn't that, isn't that your desire as well? I mean, shouldn't it be? Uh, someone should have said amen right there. Isn't that, that your desire? It is. And so last week we saw the anointing of the future king of Israel. But we know that while God anointed a future king of Israel, there was a king already in place. His name was King Saul. And so in order for us to move forward, we're going to have to go backwards today. And we're going to talk a little bit about King Saul, the fall of the first king of Israel, before we can actually continue in the rise of 
of the king and also understanding how these two individuals came into the kingdom very different ways because God now is going to put David through boot camp and he's going to train up even though he's a man after his own heart he's going to start training David how truly to be a king something that Saul really never learned let's take a journey here and we're going to go to Samuel chapter 8 and I, I like to look at today that these are going to be like steps on a journey. Where did Saul start and how did Saul finish? And so I, I've taken a few steps here. And so these are, when you see number one, that's the kind of the first thing that took place. The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. And so here we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 8. Let's read it together. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations they have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased displease Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. What a powerful statement that is. Because we see Samuel is old. The children of Samuel, which is another story with itself, were not serving God wholeheartedly. They were accepting bribes and they were not, they did not follow the ways of Samuel. And because they were not following the ways of Samuel, the people said, listen, you're almost going to go to the grave and we don't know who's going to lead us. What the people forgot was God was leading them from the very beginning. And when we go through tough times or we have someone we can lean on, but then all of a sudden that person's not there anymore. We feel like, hey, God, what am I going to do? And we forget the one we're supposed to lean on from the very beginning. Someone say amen. amen. So Samuel's sons didn't, weren't walking in righteousness. And Israel said, you know what? If we had a leader and we were like all the other nations, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> Isn't it funny? But Christians sometimes, I looked at this, and Christians so much want to be part of the world. I thought of Israel for a little bit. And I, I, thought, I, thought, I said to myself, they want to be like... They want a leader. They want someone to lead them into the battles. Even though God was their leader. Remember in e when God was pulling them out of Egypt and into, into, uh, uh, away from Egypt and stuff. And by fire, there was a pillar. And, and by day, there was a cloud. And God was leading them step by step. Isn't it funny how quick we forget? Don't we forget like God was doing this and doing this and doing this. And then all of a sudden, something happens in our life. Then all our focus goes over here and we miss everything else. And that's where we miss God. And God tells Samuel, go ahead. They're rejecting you, but don't worry. The real person they're rejecting is me. And the thing that he says that's really hard, he says, yeah, they've been doing this from the very beginning. Isn't that, isn't that hard? Think about this. Think about this. This is the people of God have such a story. Intervention of God over and over and over. Even modern Israel today has stories over and over of God's prevention, intervention, the Six-Day War. I mean, if you study that and see how God showed up when that should have never took place. And you're going to see Israel in the news more and more and more as time goes on because 
there's a plan going on today. But God's over the plan. Someone say amen. amen. So they had to find a king now because they wanted a king. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, there was a man named Kish, and he had a son, and he was impressive. He was a young man without equal among the Israelites, head taller than any of the others. Saul was a person that looked like he was a king. And one day, Kish, his father, had two donkeys, and these donkeys got loose. You know, donkeys want a habit of doing that. So is sheep. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. And, uh, and so Kish says, hey, listen, Saul, go out and find the donkeys. Take one of the servants and go. Well, they searched for three days. And finally, Saul says, you know what? If we don't go back home, my father's going to forget the donkeys and stop worrying about us. But then his servant had an idea. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't we go see the seer? Now, the seer is the same thing as the prophet. And ask him where the donkey is. I want you to get this. This is important. When people wanted answers, they went to the prophet. Why? Because the prophet was connected to God. When you need answers, where do you need to go? You need to go to God. Nevertheless, they uh, went to the prophet. And I want you to get this. This is really pretty powerful because, because here... In verse 15, 16, it says this. Now the day before Saul came, this is the day before, God speaking to his prophet. The Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people, Israel. He will deliver my people from the land, the hand of the Philistines. Can someone say communication? God was communicating to his prophet, and he says, hey, tomorrow, there's going to, you're going to, about this time, you're going to meet this young man. He's going to come to you. He's from the land of Benjamin. I want you to anoint him. And what happens is really great, because what happens next is that they come into town, and they're walking up the street, and they run right into Samuel. And, and it's amazing, in verse 18 to 21, it says this, Saul approached Samuel in a gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And then Samuel says, I'm the seer. Divine appointment. Look to your neighbor and remind him, God is into divine appointments. Come on, tell him. Tell him. Divine appointments. When God wants to do something and you're praying, he will line you up with just the right person. He will line you up. Man, you, some of you need to put a little spunk in you when you say, he's going to line you up. I, I, I want you to get this because what happens now is that Samuel tells them, hey, your donkeys have been found. He invites them to a meal. And then... Samuel says this to him when they meet. He says this. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? Is it not to you and your family? And the response that Saul says is this. What? Who are you talking to? I'm a Benjamite. I'm the smallest tribe and the least in my clan. And you're saying that everybody's looking to moi? <laughs> and somebody's got their lines crossed. See, right there, you see a very humble Saul. You see a, a person who, you know, like, I can't possibly, that, that's, that's impossible. 
all Israel, look unto me and my family. So nevertheless, there is an anointing that takes place for the king. We find it in 1 Samuel 10. The whole thing is 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Samuel tells Saul, When you leave me, certain things are going to take place. I want you to understand this. So they, before he leaves from that time where looking for the donkeys, before he leaves, Samuel anoints Saul to be king. And then he tells him this. You'll meet, on the way home, you're going to meet two people near, the, uh, near Rachel's tomb. And they're going to tell you that your donkeys have been found and your father is now worried about you guys. They didn't say you guys, I did. Just said you. Still in the plural. If I know some of people, they say you should never use guys. But back east, we, well, I know we're east, but Easter, <laughs> northeast, we go you guys. All right. And back in the Midwest, they go Ewans. And we'll, we'll leave the English slang alone right now. And then Saul says to him again, then you're going to continue on your journey. You're going to get to the great tree of Tabor. And there you're going to meet three men. They're going to be going up to God, to Bethel, and you're going to, they're going to meet you. And one of them is going to be carrying three young goats. Another one's going to be carrying three loaves of bread. And another one, a skin of wine. They're going to offer you two loaves, and you're going to take two loaves of bread from them. After that, you're going to go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. You will meet a procession of prophets coming down from a high place with lyres and tambourines and flutes and hearts being played before them. And they will be prophesying. Check this out now. Watch this. This is important. Verse 6 and 7. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. Someone say power. And you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. This is powerful. Someone say, favor of God. When you get the favor of God and God's favor is on you, God will allow you to do what your hands, put to, what your hands, what your hands find to do. You see it in Scripture over and over. God is with you. The prophets always said, with God's with you, do whatever you, your hand finds to do. Because God's favor was on him. There was a transformation that took place in Saul that day. God was doing a work in a young man full of possibilities. You need to understand where he was because we are no different. It doesn't matter where we start. It matters on where we end up. Because in the process of lying, you can get bitter. You can get sour. You can get dried up in dry sand. You can be like a bunch of wind without no uh, rain in your storm. There's a process. It's not how you start up. It's how you end up. And we need to realize there's a process in the journey. Saul started well. Saul had an encounter. I mean, the Samuel was saying, this is going to happen. He's given the very place it's going to happen. The people who are going to be there. Why? Why does God do these things? To give us faith. So many times people come into church, but they spend all their time on their phone. Or reading something. Or doing everything else except what God and the Spirit of God wants to teach us and help us and empower us. When you want God, you're hungry. 
When you are hungry, do you eat? Hmm? How many of you are snackers? You snack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see those hands. Yeah. My brother has a word for it, he goes, snack a Do you have any snack a in the house? <laughs> but the reality is when you're hungry, you want to eat. Well, how hungry are you for God? How hungry are you really for God's plan? Not just the event, but a plan. Because Saul could have been the man. The man, the man, the man that had a plan, a plan from God that worked out in his life. He could have been, he could have been, but he didn't, it didn't happen. Why is that? Why is that? Doesn't it say he was turned into a different man? The power of the living God fell upon him. And when God's power falls upon you, it will empower you to do great things. But the problem is along the journey, along the journey. Someone say along the journey. We get our eyes off the, the one who's heads, the one who heads the journey. Okay. So you got the point. <laughs> Fourth step is Saul, son of Kish, is now chosen, appointed to be king. Look at the portion of scripture. Saul, son of Kish, was chosen, but when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out, and he stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. And when they anointed him, the people then shouted and live long the king. And everybody was happy. Someone say happy, happy. They got what they wanted. You see, verse we see Saul hiding. He had humility. He didn't really want the job. He didn't want power, prestige, and position. He's hiding him stuff, as the scripture says, among the stuff, or among the stock stuff. You know, just he's hiding himself because he's like, yeah, 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 I don't want the job, God, you know? But isn't it amazing? Is that people inquired, God, hey, God, where, where is this guy that's supposed to be king? And God answers them, oh, yeah, he played in hide and seek. He's behind the stuff. God knows the game hide-and-seek. He's been playing it with the human race for a long, long, long time. I want you to get this. God knows where you are. God knows your heart. God knows your attitude. God knows everything about you. And when you just stop for a second and realize that you may be afraid to maybe do a ministry, you may be afraid or feel unqualified, can I just tell you something? Nobody knows that as well as I do. Trust me, I've done so many things that I've never thought I would ever do. Said I had no, I have no experience, or I don't have an understanding, or this, that, and the other thing. But you know what? God gives you the help. God gives you what you need. But here's a big one, here's a big one. You have to trust him. Someone say it. It's the trust. But doing nothing is just rusting. You're just rusting in God. So they finally end up anointing him. And he gets out of the stuff, and we see him hiding. And God knew exactly where, where he is. God knows exactly where you are. And all you have to do is listen to God when God says something to you. That's that simple. Just listen. Just don't battle with him. Just listen and do. The people now have a king, and everybody's shouting. And then we move into the fifth chapter, the fifth step of the journey, the fall of King Saul. 
as I wrote that down, I said, hey, that's a pretty good little rhyme, the fall of King Saul. Look at verse 5 says, verse 5 says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as a sand on the seashore. I want you to understand something. All of us will battle three areas in our life. And in these three areas, they will determine what happens to you. It will determine how triumphant you will be. And at the end of your life, you're going to, they're going, you're going to see it. People are going to see it. They're going to see these three areas of your life. And here they are. Write these down. They're either going to be faith, wisdom, and obedience. Or it's going to be fear, foolish choices, or disobedience. These are three areas that each one of our lives are going to be critiqued before God in the area of our faith over fear because fear prevents us from doing anything. But, 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 it sounds like a little motorboat. You won't see that in God. You see God, you see people seek God, look to God, and then move in God somehow, some way. But they're not fearful of moving. They're just wanting to hear and go and do and be doing something. So it's either faith or fear. What do you live in your life? How do you live your life? Do you live it by faith or do you live it by fear? And are you afraid to do anything because you're afraid of the consequences? There's always consequences in life. Always consequences. The key factor is do the things God's asking you to do. Not the things you want to do. Your choice your attitude's a choice. How you love is a choice. Whatever you do is a choice. What, what would Jesus do? How many still wear those bracelets that we gave many men? Did anybody have Oh, one, two, three? All right, great. I keep giving mine away. <laughs> um, but what would Jesus do? Do you still have yours, one? Yeah, he's doing it for 100 It broke. Wow, all right. I'll give you another one. Uh, who wants another one? I have some more. I can get you one. You know, okay, all right, just hit me up and I'll uh, uh, let me know. But what would Jesus do? Not, what would he do? Okay, then do what Jesus did. Do it. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Go ahead, look at him. Look at him on both sides. So here we have faith or wisdom or, 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 or obedience or you have fear or, you have, or being foolish or you're being disobedient. These are the three areas. There's a choice on each side. What are you going to do? Because here's Saul's in a test. And this, this here, if he would have passed it, if he was so close. He was so close to passing it. And he failed. He was so close. He's probably about two hours off. Two hours. I figured that's how long it takes to take to do the sacrifice, but I'll show you in a second. Minute. So here's the situation. It's critical. The army is hard-pressed. They are now so scared because the army of the Philistines is huge compared to Israel. And now the men are leaving. The men are going hiding in caves and thickets, and they're hiding in rocks. They're hiding in pits. They're even hiding in the cisterns, the wells that are, have no water. They're scattering. Everything's going and Saul waited for the amount of time. Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. And he waited the seven days, but Samuel never showed up. Men are scattering. So it says here in Scripture, it says, he decided to offer the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And just as he finished, 
<laughs> That's what I'm saying. He just missed it. Just as he finished, who showed up? Samuel, the one who's supposed to oversee the sacrifice, not the king. God gave an order, and that was a major deal to be disobedient in that aspect. It was a major. It was a biggie, a real biggie. Because, see, think of this. Did you ever hear in Scripture Saul was praying for answers? Do you ever see in Scripture Saul seeking God for answers? Do you ever see Saul really, really trying to say, okay, God, listen, and you see any prayer? No praying. Who is Saul always looking at? He's always looking this way, always looking at people, never looking at God. You want to have, people who have the biggest problems are the people who are always looking this way and never looking this way. Because when you get your eyes on people, it's going to lead you astray. But you get your eyes on Jesus Christ, it's going to set you free. Mm, did you get that? Set you free. <laughs> hmm? It'll set you free from the cold. <laughs> I think the other leg would have went up. Set you free from the cold. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to understand. When Saul did what he did and Samuel came in, he says, what have you done? I, what have you done? Whenever you have someone say that to someone and they go, what have you done? You know you're in trouble. You ever walk home one day and your pet has been really disobedient and garbage is all over the floor and there's the dog right there and you walk into the kitchen and you're going, what have you done? And that little dog does this. He knows he's in trouble. Well, Saul, he didn't see himself in trouble. Look how he responds here. He said, well, 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 before you say this, let me tell you why I did what I did. Everybody's always trying to explain themselves or why they did what he did. He says, you know, the men were scattering and you didn't come on time. Did you see what he did? Oh, no, no. He, you know, people always want to put the blame on someone else. Oh, I'm telling you what, I lived as saints. People always want to point out, what, but you, but you did that. They don't want to talk about what they did. No, no. But you, if you would have showed up on time, this wouldn't happen. This is your fault. You don't know time. You came later. You know what? God never arrives late, but he's not on your time clock. And so when you think God's supposed to show up, when you think he's supposed to show up, I'm going to let you know something. God will show up right at the perfect time. God knew exactly what he was doing. Saul was at a test. He failed it miserably. But he's telling the prophet, you didn't do your job. You, pointing the finger, not taking a, not even saying nothing about what he did. But watch, it gets worse. I saw the Philistines assembling at Michmash, and I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. You'll never get the Lord's favor in disobedience. It doesn't even make sense. His thinking was wrong. He's trying to get God's favor by doing something wrong. It's the same thing with David trying to bring the tabernacle into, uh, into the city when he used cows, when it was supposed to be carried. And Uzziah died because of it. He had a good intentions, but he did it wrong. We can, do, we can do things and have good intentions, but still be majorly wrong. Someone understand that? 
So we not only have to have good intentions, but we have to have the right, right motives and the right way. And so he's saying, I wanted to get God's favor. So I felt compelled myself. I compelled my, I forced, it was really tough, Saul, I'm Samuel. I forced myself to sacrifice. I compelled myself to do so. Look what Samuel says. This is major. Chapter 13, verse 13. You acted foolishly. Samuel said, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Oh my word, how we can lose so much. But now your kingdom will not endure. Your Lord, your Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I want you to understand something. Here was a person that was chosen by God to do a work, but this man forgot who he was serving because he always was looking and blaming others. Let's look at the final blow to the Saul's dynasty. Verse chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your eyes, you did not become the did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over Israel but pride in a heart it will always be seen in the way a person walks talks and the way they live Saul had forgotten that he was serving God but all this, all the time he was always pointing to other people it was other people's fault. It was Samuel's fault. It was the soldiers' fault. You know, they're all taken off. And I had to step up and be the one to do the sacrifice. But it gets worse and comes out really clear here in verse 18. Look at this. And then Samuel came and he sent him on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until they have, you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. Okay, listen to this. Watch this. Watch what he's doing. We do the same thing. We say one thing, and the next thing we say, we counteract what we just said. He says, I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Ahag, the king. Who is Ahag? Ahag, Amalekite. Well, you can't destroy all the Amalekites if you brought back the king, which, of course, is the leader of the people. Then watch what he does again. And we do the same thing. We want to pass the buck, blame other people. The soldier took sheep. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God. And what, well, we, well, you know why we did it? You know why we did it? I'll tell you why we did it. Yeah, and listen to this. We did it in order to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. Not my God. We, we got all this. We did this for the Lord. Really? Really? You see, how, you see what we do sometimes? I did it for the Lord. Oh, it, what, does it benefit me? Oh, no, I did it for the Lord. He's saying, I did it for your God. You see, the personal pronouns here is not my God, our God. It's your God. We did it for your God. You see what he lost? So he blames the soldiers for taking the sheep. 
He says, I totally did what I was supposed to do. But no, he didn't because he, bring back, he brings back the king. And the reason why God wanted to put an end to the Amalekites is because the Amalekites had always been, from the very beginning of exiting of Egypt, they were always attacking Israel. Matter of fact, they were the ones who attacked Israel when they were leaving Egypt. And what they did is they started to attack the people at the end of the line, which are usually the people who are weaker and slower and stuff uh, on, the, on the procession when they were on their journey. And God said, that's enough. That's enough from these people. I want you to go in there and I'm going to bring judgment upon them because of their, their continuous rebellion. You never hear, you never hear, Saul taking responsibility. You don't hear Saul taking accountability. You don't even hear the humility anymore. It's a blame game. For him, it's always defense, defense, defense. I'm proving my case. There are so many times I talk to people and they become lawyers. Lawyers. They're, they're trying to prove they're right. It doesn't make a difference. They still did wrong. They still made a mistake. But they can't say, you know what? I flopped it. Yeah, you're right. 100% I made a mistake. No, 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 no. They're quick to say, you know, but you and, and this. And they're always trying to defend themselves. Can I give, give me, let me just say something to you. I love what Billy Graham once said. Billy Graham said that he would never try to defend himself. He would allow God to defend himself. And he had this quote after. He says, when you wrestle with a pig in the mud, only one's going to enjoy it. I, I, I think we need to just understand. We don't, God is our defense. God is our, we don't have to prove ourselves. If you don't like pastor for whatever reason, you, what you see is what you get. Can't help that. God's still working on me. I'll bring that shirt next week. God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You want to sing it? <laughs> but the reality is we're all in room for improvement. And there's a lot of improvement in this house for sure. But I want to improve this house to be the best I can be. And you want to improve your house to be the best it can be. Why? So we can be a man and woman after God's own heart. Not what we say, but what God said. Right? Amen? Look at verse 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in bird offering and sacrifices as much as he obeying the voice of the Lord? Do do." To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Boy, boy, this is the real issue of God looking at the heart. God's looking at the heart. Not what we say, not even what we do. Because we can say things and do things that look good on the outside, but God actually sees the heart. And God says, listen... I don't want you to sacrifice. I love when the prophet says that God wants to close the door of the tabernacle because of the sacrifices that are taken. He's, he, the sacrifices stink, he says. I wish I could close the doors because all they are are actions, but no heart. Saul lost it. Saul had all the potentials to be a great king, but he lost it because he found pride he became arrogant, and his dependence was not on God. He was always looking here, always, always looking outward. Never. You don't see nothing of him looking upward. And if he does look upward, he's always asking through the prophet because he doesn't have that relationship. 
It was so detached. Not like David. David had a personal connection, relation with God Almighty. That while he's in the desert with his sheep, he's singing songs. And you'll see later down the line, I think next week, you'll see that he tells us who protected him when he was in the wilderness. Who was with him and why he survived it. And while he's going to survive, Goliath. Gave you a little hint next week. So now that you understood where Saul was, let's look at the rise in the training of David. Look at your neighbor and say he only has 27 more pages to go. <laughs> I did that for you, Brad. 27 pages more. You happy? <laughs> All right, let's go. In this portion of, this portion of, this portion of Scripture here, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 14, 23, in verse 14 it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now this portion has really gotten a lot of individuals because uh, uh, it's, it's one of those, can be a, a talk point. But I want you to understand something. This is very important, is that the reason why Saul and the Spirit left Saul is because Saul's condition of his heart. And God said, that's it, I'm done. So God removed his spirit, removed his favor from Saul, removed his protection from Saul. And I want you to understand that Saul had rejected the ways of the Lord. Saul had taken favor of man versus favor of God. Uh, he was favoring man instead of God. And this always opens up an opportunity for evil spirit to afflict him, and that's exactly what God allowed an evil spirit to come to afflict Saul. Now, at first, you're like, why? But you're going to get to see today how God has a mission. Someone say, God has a mission. God is strategizing. God has a plan. Why would God, all right, take his spirit from that one, but to send an evil spirit into his life to torment him, to frustrate him, to bring anguish to him. Why would God, Almighty, which is good, do something like that? Look at your neighbors say, it's coming. Look at this. Verse 15 to 17. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command this servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play, and when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring them to me. Now this is important to understand about anointed music. Music is powerful and it is not, it is not so much the song you sing. We all have preference. We all like certain songs. Why? Because you were brought up with those songs. I have songs I like. You have songs you like. When we get to heaven, we're going to learn a whole new song. But I want to tell you this. It's not just the music, and it's not just the words either, but it's the vessel that sings the song and sings the, uh, the words and worships the person. You see, David had a relationship with God, so when he thunk his praise on his musical instrument, and he sung by his words, he spoke, because it wasn't just playing, he sung too. He was a psalmist. He sung, that's what the book of Psalms is all about. 
And so he, when he did this, the Spirit of God showed up. And so anointed music is powerful. Music is a medium that can affect every mood. It can make you cry. It can make you cheer. It can move the body, even for those that can't dance. You know, you ever, you ever notice you're in a store one day, music on, and you're just tapping? Don't even know you're tapping? And some of you, if it's an older song you haven't heard in a long time, you start singing it. It reminds you of the, the song you know. You start singing, and you're going, wow. I'm singing the song. Or you leave the store still singing the song. How many ever do that? Come put your hands, huh? There they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we see this music plays a major part. Music ministry. God is the creator of music ministry to minister before heaven and before his people. He always had music go before him or before the tabernacle. What was there when they were marching around Jericho? They were blasting the horns. They were having a parade. Music is important. Now, look at this now. This is where you get to see God's plan. One of the servants who's in this meeting, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is brave. Man, he's a brave man, a warrior, speaks well, and fine-looking man. And, 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 oh, by the way, not that his last, but the Lord's with him. I want you to get this. Saul is now, the Spirit of God is off, an evil spirit comes, and now he's tormented. They need a solution. They need, God has a plan. And it so happens, come and say, so happens. So happens that while they're having this meeting, a guy says, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I know someone who could, and he's perfect. He's brave. You want a brave man to be with the king. You want, he's a warrior. He's a fighter. So if he, the king gets attacked, you got somebody with him to protect him. He speaks well because you want people to be able, in the king's surrounding, to be well spoken of and being able to, Fill the qualification. He's a fine-looking man. And, and, and by the way, I, I love how they put it last. And the Lord is with him. Now, if I had to do that list, the first thing I would have said, hey, God is with him. That's the first thing. If God's with you, come on. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about the rest of this stuff. So I want you to get this. The evil spirit comes. God allows it. God has a plan. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a plan. God's going to now get the man who's anointed right into the kingship already to see hands-on how to be a king. What does a king go through? What do they have to do decisions? What about the men around him? Who should he have around him? He's in, the, he's in there watching this and experiencing this. God is training him from the inside out. God has a plan. God is about to raise up the next king of Israel by putting him. God literally put him right in the kingdom. Isn't that crazy? You see how God worked out the plan? We're on Wednesday night doing the aspect of um, escape the ordinary. And we need to realize when we escape the ordinary, you see that God has a plan and he's working that plan out. We see it all through Scripture. God allowed the evil spirit to come so that he could take David and put him right inside the kingdom of God, right inside the kingdom so he can actually learn from the inside. Watch this now. Verse 19, verse 23. 
uh, excuse me, verse, let's go to 19. So when he said, the Saul sent messages to Jess and said, send me your son who is with the sheep. So Jess took a donkey loaded with bread and skin of, skin of wine and young goat and sent them with, sent them with his son, I can't read today, and sent them out with his son David. David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul, like, this is the only time you're going to see this a lot in Scripture, because it goes down quick. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent a word, Jesse, saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. (laughs) That's going to be short-lived. But nevertheless, there's a duration of time where Saul... The one, get this now, only God can do, God's ways are higher than your ways. Here's the king who brings in and wants this boy to come in, young lad to come in. He's probably about 16, 17, 18. Come in to be with him. And he doesn't know at this point in time, he will shortly, that he's the next king. Now, would any king allow someone to come in that's going to be the one to take his place? Of course not. And once he finds out, the the whole tide changes. Saul himself brings David into the palace. God set up David in the palace of the king. God was giving him favor for his next step. God is working on the future. Can I just encourage you? God's working on your future. God is right now working on your future. But are you working with him? Are you working with him? Let's let's close it down. Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take out his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Can anybody tell me why the spirit left him? It's a powerful understanding to realize that when you have anointed music and here's David singing about God and talking about God's promises and all of what God has done, the demons don't like that. The demons don't like that. I have a friend of mine in India. He said to me, he said to me, you know, we have deliverance ministry in the church. He says, what happens if, if the demons start rising up, we can tell because we start singing the blood of Jesus. And when we start talking about the blood of Jesus, he says, man, they just all show up. You can tell. And then they act up and then they have to go get delivered and stuff. I mean, demons are very real. And I want you to understand something, that when you have music that's anointed and his David playing his harp and singing of the goodness and the greatness of God, well, only demons can handle that so much before he has to go. And that's what deliverance is through music. Is that powerful? I don't know about you, but I want you to understand that God wants to use you greatly and you're in training just like David was in training. But we have to watch our heart on what we do. We really need to ask God to make sure that we give God our whole hearts. Because look at the life of Saul. You have to understand something. Saul was thrown right into it. He was older. He was thrown right into it. You're going to be king. God doesn't do that with David. Now he's about to train him up. He's going to give him time. It's some time before David gets into the kingship. There's a journey. There's a long journey to go. God's preparing the vessel. God's still preparing you no matter what you're going through. Whatever circumstance or situation you're going through, God is helping you and preparing you. The key for you and I is just to continue to seek the Lord. Can you stand to your feet?
Let's take a moment. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, those watching online here today, if Jesus is not your Savior, man, listen, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. God wants to help you and teach you. And you might have a circumstance, a situation that's bigger than you, and you don't have no answers. Can I tell you? God, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He will help you and strengthen you. How many know? How many would say amen to that? Amen. 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 And just if you haven't accepted Jesus, just, just say right now, Father, forgive me. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my stubbornness. Forgive me of my attitude. Forgive me, Lord, for my actions. And no, I, I yield myself to you today in Jesus' name. I'm yours. You died on the cross. On the third day, you rose again. He defeated sin, death, and the grave for you and wants to give you eternal life. Jesus says, you must be born again. God wants to change the heart. You just have to want your heart to be changed by just surrendering your life to God. God wants to do a work in you and through you. Can someone say praise the Lord? Someone wave the Lord and says, I'm all God's. I'm all God's. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I just ask right now that you would touch each individual. And Lord, as we remember the love you have for us, will you just bless each individual, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.